Good morning, and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. I'm Susan Thompson, your lay leader today. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to the visitors here this morning. It is also my pleasure to welcome Chris Jimerson back to our pulpit this morning. He is our service leader. Two years ago, Chris was president of our congregation, and this past year he has been serving as ministerial intern at Wildflower UU in South Austin as he has been pursuing his seminary education, preparing to become a UU minister. Uh, We come from a long heritage that teaches that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of this heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by welcoming the person to your right and left or front or back uh, this morning. Many Unitarian Universalist congregations, including this one, begin our services by lighting a chalice, a symbol of our unity with each other and all of creation and that universal spark of the divine within all of us. Please join me now in reciting the words for lighting our chalice printed in your order of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Enter now into the sacred place of renewal. Join together now in this beloved community that sustains and upholds. Imagine now a world with more compassion, more justice, more love. We worship now that which is greater than us and that holds our aspirations, our fortitude, our faith, our hope. Now enter into this holy place, this hallowed ground, this shared spirit of gratitude and community. Now we worship together. More than anything else, our mission statement defines who we are. Please join me in affirming our mission. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Hope is a state of mind, not of the world. Either we have hope or we don't. It is a dimension of the soul, and it's not essentially dependent on some particular observation of the world or estimate of the situation. Hope is not prognostication. It is an orientation of the spirit, an orientation of the heart. It transcends the world that is immediately experienced and is anchored somewhere beyond its horizons. Hope, in this deep and powerful sense, is not the same as joy that things are going well or willingness to invest in enterprises that are obviously heading for success, but rather an ability to work for something because it is good, not just because it stands a chance to succeed. The more propitious the situation in which we demonstrate hope, the deeper the hope is. Hope is definitely not the same thing as optimism. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the faith that something makes sense regardless 
of how it turns out. Now, if you would please join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. Spirit of love and life, breathe into us the compassion and courage that will sustain us. Fill us with gratitude for the faith, grounding, and hope to be found through living life filled with boundless and endless love. When the news from our world is filled with injustice and struggle, as it often has been in these past weeks, when our work to end oppression and bring about the beloved community seems challenging and the road ahead seems long, when we face struggles sometimes just in our daily lives, let us breathe in the spirit of life and dwell in the essence of love. For in doing so, we find renewal and the knowledge that love shall indeed in the end overcome. For in doing so, we create greater faith and more hope. In doing so, we create our world anew. So may it be. Amen. Not long ago, one of my instructors in seminary was trying to explain to us this theology he called non-theistic, liberative, naturalistic humanism. Still not sure I completely understand it, but it does make for a great vocal warm-up. Before, yeah, before any talk or sermon, I just say non-theistic, liberative, naturalistic humanism three or four times very quickly, and then everything else comes trippingly off the tongue, as we say. Now, I think he was engaging in a bit of seminary professor witticism when he bound all those words and concepts together, but he grew quite serious when he explained that this theology expresses the idea that oppression and human suffering, natural disasters and diseases, imperialism and war, just the vagaries of the human condition are so random and so dire that we can't realistically think there is a God, much less a kind and loving God. On, po on top of that, according to this theology, our struggles to end oppression occur within a sort of zero-sum game where advances attained by one group can only be made at the expense of greater oppression of another. Justice for all can never be realized. Thus, a central tenet of this theology is that we should abandon hope and embrace struggle because the struggle is all we really have. And have a nice day. I ended the class discussion feeling something less than uplifted. Later, I talked with my partner, Wayne, about it. He said, I don't think you should try preaching that when you get out of seminary and start the search process for a church. None of them will call you. I, I think Wayne was absolutely right about all that, so don't worry. I'm not testing out an abandon all hope, ye who enter here, sermon on you today. But it did get me thinking about that little four-letter word called hope. What exactly is hope, really? Should we have hope? 
what is its source and how do we sustain it, especially during the more difficult times of struggle that we do encounter in life? How do we keep it from becoming just wishful thinking? So I went on a theological search, a metaphysical quest to find the meaning and source of hope. Like any good modern-day spiritual seeker, I did a Google search. The first link I followed was to the Emily Dickinson poem titled, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. The next link I saw was where I could buy a book by Woody Allen called Without Feathers, and it seemed I was right back where I had started. So, Google as a pathway into spiritual enlightenment having failed, I turned to looking at what some of our leading thinkers among Unitarian Universalists have had to say about hope. I know those of you who have been Unitarian Universalists for a while won't be overly surprised to hear that Unitarian Universalists have had quite a lot to say about it, rather often not agreeing with each other on the subject. I did find much that moved me in reflections on faith and hope from Rebecca Ann Parker, president of our Unitarian Universalist Seminary in Berkeley, California, as well as those of Sharon Welch, provost at the seminary I attend in Chicago. The two have very different philosophical and theological perspectives, and yet out of both of them, I drew that indeed we must start by embracing the struggle, that hope may be found by realistically acknowledging that suffering and oppression are a part of life, but then seeking to transcend them in several ways. First, by steadfastly continuing to act in ways that are loving and life-giving. Second, by persistently seeking justice. And finally, by purposefully finding the wisdom we need to sustain ourselves in the voices of those who have suffered oppression, people who have so often found ways to restore hope out of hopelessness by creating joy, grace, and beauty in day-to-day life. I think we also, though, have to guard against a kind of false hope, a hope that can lead to disillusionment and making harmful choices, a hope that seeks certainty, wherein we only have faith if we believe that we can control the outcome of our actions. I'll cite as an example the fact that we're faced with the knowledge that the effects of global climate change are much likely to get worse before they get better, even if we were to begin truly acting to mitigate them starting now. Given that, how do we hold on to a hope that can sustain environmental activism? Where do we find the resilience to continue to act, even knowing that we may not be able to prevent great loss? The answer may lie in embracing a paradox. Faith can only exist when there is uncertainty. Hope arises out of what we cannot know, our choosing to act out of love for each other and the web of existence, even in the midst of our not knowing, even when we encounter great challenges. I saw this element of hope, this faith, even in the face of an uncertain future, a future clouded by unexpected loss and grief, when I was a chaplain intern at a local hospital last summer. I'm changing the details a little to protect those involved, but here is in essence what happened. 
was with the husband and the father of a woman in her early 40s who had collapsed near the end of the workday. Despite valiant efforts to revive her, she died in one of the trauma rooms in the emergency center at the hospital. We learned later that a blood clot had loosened and traveled through her blood system to her heart, likely the result of a long flight she had taken to visit her sisters in South America. Her husband and her father were at her bedside mourning over her now lifeless body. The family was Catholic and spoke both Spanish and English. They asked me to contact their priest to come and say prayers and perform the sacraments in Spanish. They wanted me to stay with them as the rest of the family gathered and they waited on the priest. Soon after, her daughter and son arrived, both of whom looked like they might be in their late teens or early 20s, followed by the other family members. All that I could really do was to be with them, to put a comforting hand on a shoulder sometimes, to provide a soothing voice at others, at times just to stand at the doorway trying to provide them some sanctuary from the noise and the commotion the rest of the emergency center. After the priest came and performed the sacraments and a final prayer, I turned to walk him out, and suddenly the husband looked up at me from where he was sitting at her bedside and said, would you stay with us while we tell her goodbye? I hadn't even known he knew I was still in the room. They gathered round her, his mother, his wife, his daughter of theirs. They began to tell stories of her, blending laughter with tears as they joined together in their love for one another and their love for her as they one by one said goodbye to her. The Amazing love, the astounding human resilience, the astonishing courage they showed in being able to tell her goodbye, leave that hospital, and move forward into an uncertain future bound tightly in their love for one another and their shared memories of her. Sometimes that is faith. Sometimes that's hope. Sometimes hope is finding a way to continue our stories even up against a struggle that turns toward the tragic at times. Hope is to be found in the fact that we carry forward the stories of even those we have lost just as the story of that mother, wife, and daughter goes on through her families continuing the telling of it. Hope is that a grand narrative is still unfolding and we get to participate in the telling of it, even if in only small ways. And I think hope involves even a bit more. I think it compels us to move toward a vision of the future, even though we can't control and may not ever even know what happens in that future. Think about something my grandfather did when I reflect on this aspect of hope. 
My parents divorced when I was young, so my mother's parents helped raise me and my brother and sister while my mom was at work. My grandfather, Leo, became very much a father figure for me. I still carry great love for him. He was a person who loved largely, embracing with true warmth and compassion everyone he met. I loved that he would go from hyperkinetic in one moment to having this amazing stillness in the next. I loved that he had a strong vision for living and doing rightly in the world. In fact, the family always joked about how he could sometimes be a little irritating because he wouldn't hesitate to tell you when he thought you could be doing something better in life. That wasn't the really irritating part, though. The really annoying thing is that he was almost always right. My family still pokes fun at me sometimes because they say I'm so much like him, though I suspect not nearly as often right. Whether through nature or nurture or both, I owe much of who I have become to him. Another way of saying that is to say that many of his values and much of what mattered to him most live on in me. And I think there's a lot of hope to be found just in that. I'll try to give you some idea how much of who I am comes from my grandmother by telling you about what happened the first time I brought my partner Wayne to meet my grandparents. I must have been in my 30s at the time. We drove to their house, and we sat in their living room talking for several hours, my grandmother treating us to delicious baked items from her kitchen. Eventually, my grandmother had to take us all around their yard and show us all her beautiful flowering plants, and my grandfather had to get out his maps and show us all the places they were going on their next trip, something I find myself subjecting others to even today. After the visit, we got, said our goodbyes and got in the car to leave. I noticed that Wayne had this perplexed, bewildered look on his face. I looked at him and I said, what is it? He paused for a second and then said, I feel like I just met an 80-year-old you. <laughs> to this day, he still tells me I'm pulling a Leo from time to time. After my grandfather died, our family opened the safe where he kept his important papers. In it, we found letters that he had written to my grandmother and their children, my mother and her brother and sister. In the letters, he spoke of his love for them, the joy they had brought to his life, his delight in who they had become and how they were living their lives. He wrote of his love for his grandchildren and his faith in the lives we would live. He thanked my grandmother for their life together. Even after all these years, I'm still overwhelmed by the fact that he even thought to do that. How much love can one heart possibly hold? How can we call this anything else but hope grounded in boundless and endless love. Hope is writing letters to the future, even though it's a future that will not include us, at least not in our current form. Hope is writing letters to the future, knowing that we may never know whether or how they will be received, never know what difference they may make. 
pause here and say thank you, we hope. Your letters made a huge difference to me. Turns out he was right again. And he taught me something else. The lives we live are our letters to the future. They are our hope for how the story will continue. Isn't it remarkable that hope turns out to be contained within how we live our lives in the here and now? So as we leave today and go back out into our daily lives, may we continually be asking ourselves, what story are we helping to write? What are we putting into our letters to the future? Even in the midst of life's struggles and hardships, we can choose to live grounded in love for all that is, all that came before and all that will follow. The poet Adrian Rich put it like this, My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who age after age perversely with no extraordinary power reconstitute the world. And so may we create hope where hope has been lost. And so may we dwell in a faith courageous enough to embrace uncertainty. As we go out into our world today, may we co-create the ever-unfolding stories in ways we hope will bend the narrative toward justice, transformation, and love. May an enduring faith sustain us. May love continue to overcome. May hope abound. Blessed be. Amen. Commitment by Dorothy Day. People say, what is the sense of our small effort? They cannot see that we must lay one brick at a time, take one step at a time. A pebble cast into a pond causes ripples that spread in all directions. Each one of our thoughts, words, and deeds is like that. No one has a right to sit down and feel hopeless. There is too much work to do. The offering will now be given and received in grateful appreciation of our shared hopes and values. Now, please join me in saying our words for extinguishing the chalice printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. May your days to come be filled with peace and your spirit overflow with boundless and endless love. Grounded in such love, may your courage rise up and embrace uncertainty as an opportunity and possibility for hope that glimmers eternally and a faith that sustains. May you know grace. May you bring grace into the lives of others. Go in peace. Go in love. 
Go knowing that part of this place and of this beloved community travel with you until next you return. All blessings. Amen. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.